Good morning, everybody. Are you well? You seem well, yes. Uh, well, we also have our, our online uh, people coming on right now. So good morning to everybody online, including my family. I, I know that you guys are watching, so good morning to you all as well. Uh, if this is your first time or you haven't been here in the last couple of weeks or, you know, you maybe just rodeoed a little bit too hard this past weekend, I wanted to, to kind of just, uh, you know, catch, do a quick recap of kind of what we're doing and where we're at. Uh, as Miles said, we're in this series called The Kingdom. And throughout this series, what we've been doing is looking at these parables or these stories that Jesus told. And each of these parables, he starts it with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like... And what he's doing here, remember Glenn started us off uh, the first week we did this and laid this out. What he's doing here is he is telling us uh, not about something that is distant and in the future, but instead what, what Jesus is talking about when he says the kingdom of heaven is like, it, it's, he's giving us an indicator of what, is, what it's like to be in relationship with God, what it's like to be able to uh, have life with God in the here and the now not something we have to wait for expectantly, but we can actually participate and enjoy it now. I know there are those of you who like to follow along in your Bibles or know where we're headed this morning, so I'm going to give you a, a, a taste of that. I'm just going to tell you where we're going, then we're going to do something else. Uh, but we will be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20. That is where we're going to be this morning. But before we get to that, uh, we're, we're going to take a, another route there. Um, and I would ask this question, don't we all have those certain things in our lives that tend to bring out less than our best selves? Don't we, don't we, if I were to ask you to think of those, couldn't we all think of something where, you know, whatever that moment, that circumstance is, that thing, like it tends to just draw out, you know, not our very best selves. I was uh, thinking about this past week and, and I came up with a couple. Uh, one would be fantasy football does not bring out my best self. I realized this uh, at one point, to my shame, I realized this uh, when I had a fantasy football team and I played it, I was watching a football game and, and you know, I had some players playing in it and, uh, and across the bottom line, it, it said, you know, a particular player had been injured and, and you know, was out for the season and they were on another person's team and I found myself audibly cheering and I realized I'm a monster. Who does that? That's a terrible thing to do. And in that very moment, I said, no more. I can't do this. This, this, this brings out a terrible side of me. Uh, another thing that really brings out a, not my best self is the, any EG's drive through You laugh because you know it's true. You, you sit there and time forgets it, whether you're the only person in line or not. And here's the thing. I want to be gracious here. I've been inside of EGs. I watch the people who are working behind the counter. They work very hard. It's not as if they're all just hanging out and doing nothing. So I don't know what's going on with the drive-thru. It just, somehow you end up there and it's a time vortex and multiverses and all these sorts of things where you just, you don't know what happens and an hour later you have an EG and, a, you know, some ranch fries. And so uh, there's, there's that, but then I, I think perhaps the thing that I realized, and this was an early age, the thing that I realized that probably brings out the worst of me uh, is, is white elephant gift exchanges. I know. <laughs> You're like, what? But it's true. It's true. I realized this early in life. Uh, it was, uh, I was in third grade. It was my third grade classes uh, right around Christmas time, white elephant gift exchange. And so, you, you know, recall back if you can to when you were in third grade and the various things that you and your classmates would have liked. You know, maybe I, I'm trying to remember back. I know, can't remember everything, but there was, you know, there was uh, snacks and there were, you know, trading cards and small toys that, you know, that generation liked. And, uh, you know, maybe little art kits, pens and pencils, all that sort of stuff. Just things that, that 
kids would like. And what I realized for me is that a white elephant gift exchange is far less uh, of a gift exchange and more of like a blood sport. Because I, I go for the jugular when I do gift exchanges, apparently. And, and I was sitting there and, and uh, you always have that one thing, right? Where you, you see it and you're like, that's the thing I want, right? And so I was uh, doing this and about halfway through, uh, it was my turn and I opened my thing. I don't even remember what it was. It was just this thing. Uh, and then the next person opened what looked to be the most amazing set of comic books ever created by human hands. I don't know what they were. I cannot recall, but I just know I was into comic books at the time and they looked fantastic. And so at that moment, I said, those are mine. And I began to strategize and plot and plan and figure out and like, you know, get, how am I going to end up with these? And, you know, figure out what is this person going to do? Where are those going to do? I had to be like, okay, that person over there. Well, you know what? They, they like toys. They, they don't like to read. I know that. So they're going to be fine. I don't have to worry about that person. I got to look out for that person because they read like those novels and stuff. So they probably want that. That person's left-handed. I don't know why that's important, but I should know that. That person's gluten-free. So I know that I don't have to worry about this stuff over here. And so I started planning and plotting and all this sort of stuff. And uh, I ended up right before the, you know, I ended up with the, 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 the what do we call them? The comic books. And it is the last kid's turn and I am just on pins and needles. You know, are, are they going to open their thing and hate it and come get these comic books from me? Or are they going to like it? Or are they going to go for something else? And so, ooh, it was exciting. And so this kid opens the gift. And even before he gets it all the way open, I just hear him say, I'm keeping it. And a flood of relief washes over me. I am, I have won. I have defeated everybody else in white elephant gift exchanging. And I sit there and I, I look with joy and at this beautiful, you know, gift that I have, this blessing that I have. And then I look over and I see him finish unwrapping his, his gift and everything changes. And I become a little bit mad because I've worked really, really hard and I thought I got the best gift. But when I look at what his gift is, he got a five pound box of those uh, 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 lifesaver rolls. I'm not talking, so kids, dang it, I said kids. All right, people, uh, I know nowadays we eat our lifesavers, you know, individually out of those little wrappers that are obnoxious. But, but there was a time when and the, the proper way God intended you to eat lifesavers was to peel the little thing off the top and just pop them out of the roll like, well, candy, because they are. And so that's the proper way to do it. And, and that I realized, I don't want these books. Those are fine. But the best thing is these lifesavers. And I worked hard. I planned, I plotted, I schemed. Like I care more about this than everybody else. How can he end up with the best? I deserve that. That's not fair. I mean, all these questions started flooding into my mind. Like why, why does he get that? What did they do to deserve it? They're probably not even going to eat all the orange ones. No one needs the orange ones, but I like them. I'll eat them. He's just going to waste a fifth of the lifesavers. The whole time, and I even remember going home and being like, oh, that was so unfair. I can't believe I got these and didn't get those. But ultimately, the, end, the lens that I was viewing that whole experience through was one of fairness. And, and I tell that story not to establish if whether that particular moment was truly fair or not. That's besides the point. I was a third grader. But rather, it's to highlight, you know what? I think that from a very young age, 
we all discover this value of and for fairness that we carry with us throughout life, right? We all discover this value of, of liking things to be fair and wanting them to be fair, especially for us, and we carry that with us throughout life. And I want to be clear, this value, it's a beautiful thing. There's no knock on fairness. It's a beautiful thing. It says that we want good things to happen for us and for the people around us. We want uh, everyone to be able to get what they need. We we don't want anybody to be passed over unjustly, uh, left out, or anything like that. But there's a flip side to this, and and I I want to ask you if you realize this. Because what I wonder is, do you realize that we serve and worship a God who is not fair? Do you realize that? We, we, we gathered together today to hear about, to serve, to worship a God who is not fair. You know why I know this? For many reasons, but one, the easiest one is, in just a few months, what are we going to be doing? We're going to be celebrating Easter. And isn't Easter essentially the most unfair moment in all of history? God sent his son, gave up his son, so that his sinless son could die on the cross for the sins of others in an excruciating, painful way? That doesn't seem very fair at all. We serve a God who is not a fair God. And we sit there and we, we enjoy it as we should. We love it. We bask in it. We, we live out of this moment of Easter, the death and the resurrection of Christ. And we love it. But then what's so odd is that we turn around and we expect and want fa- or, uh, fairness when it comes to our lives and how our lives work. So this passage of Matthew, I want to read it to you. And I'll, I want you to see that if we read it at face value, it could, we could really look at that and say, well, but wait, that's not fair. But if we dive deeper, we may see something else. So uh, we're going to read this passage from Matthew. It's about this, this uh, guy, a landowner who goes and he hires workers to work in his vineyard. And what I'd like you to do is very much what Jesus asked the, the people of, of the first century, his audience, to do. And it's to identify there's going to be five groups of workers hired. And I, I, I'm telling you what he wanted the people to do was identify with this first group. And so I'm asking you as we read through this, Try and put yourself in the place of this first group of workers who gets hired, this first group of people. Because they're all, what they all are is they're day workers. And we, we know that we have those around here today as well. Day workers, people who, who get up in the morning, they have no consistent job. They go you know, often to a place where a bunch of them congregate and they wait for an employer to come. And that's how they're going to be able to take care of their family, feed their family for the day. And that's what's happening here. A group of men standing there hoping that somebody will come and give them a chance to earn uh, some money, so that they can care for their family. So, again, identifying with the the first group, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, and a denarius is a day's wage, uh, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So he's now got two groups. The group that he hired at the very beginning said, here, you can have a denarius for this, this work. Now he's got the second group. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. Now we've got four groups. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So now we have our five groups of workers. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. 
beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired came first, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he, being the master, replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And then this final verse, verse 16, Jesus kind of looks up and says to, to the people he's speaking to, so the last will be first and the first last. Now we read that and how do you think it felt to be those first workers? As, as you put yourself in their, their shoes, it, there was a, a level of unfairness, wasn't there? Wasn't there? I mean, they say to, they say to the master, you know, what, what are you doing? And the master says, I'm not doing you any wrong, but I think it's pretty easy if we put ourselves in their, their shoes to say, well, maybe, well, hold on. You're mistreating us. You, that's not fair. We worked more. We should make more. That, that's what makes sense. That's how I would feel, if I'm being honest. It's not fair. But you know what I find really interesting is where the, the whole thing flipped where all of a sudden things got unfair. It wasn't what I got that made things unfair. It was what they got, right? All was fair up until they got something. See, nothing changed with what these, these workers have been blessed with, right? This first group, that's you and I that I asked us to imagine that we are, nothing changed. We got what we were agreed for, right? We got our, our day's wage. We were able to pay for our family's meals. We were able to care for our family. The only thing that actually changed was their perspective. One moment they, they felt blessed and then the next moment they felt robbed because they felt as if they had lost something because these other workers had been paid what they were. It's fascinating to me. But I also know that this is something that, that we all would understand what it would be like because we've all been there. I know I have. Our brains naturally go to these spots where we say this is not fair. I wonder how many of us have found ourselves, found ourselves hijacked by moments that we would deem as unfair. I know there's some of us in here who you've worked hard, you've put in all the extra hours, you've gone above and beyond all your duties only to see somebody else get that promotion or that pay raise that you were expecting. That's not fair. Or there's some of us who have made all these plans to be financially responsible. You put away all you know, the savings, you're saving up, you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing when it comes to managing your finances as well. And yet at the end of the month, it seems like you're still barely able to make ends meet. But then your neighbors, for some reason, are able to like buy new cars and add you know, beautiful things to their houses and go on exotic vacations. And it's just, what, what's going on there? That's not fair. I'm, I'm doing everything right. Why are they getting blessed? Or maybe you try your hardest as a parent to be, a, you know, as a parent, as a spouse, and you read all the right books and, and you, you just do all the right things. And, but it always feels like there's chaos in your family except for peace. And then you look at your, you know, this other family and they look like the family that's in those cruise commercials. That's just loving being around each other and doing all the fun things. And you sit there, where's the fairness in that? 
You see what Jesus is doing in this parable is he is taking a way, or we could even say the way people think God ought to function and he is turning it upside down on its head. And my hope for us today is that we come to understand that the kingdom of heaven is not fair. It isn't fair, but it is generous. I hope we come to understand that we, the kingdom of heaven is a generous place. And once we start doing that, we'll find ourselves moving from struggling with fairness to actually celebrating God's generosity. So in order to understand this parable, uh, where are we? In order to understand the, this parable to the full extent of what Jesus is doing here and really you know, discovering some stuff there, because remember we said if you read it on the surface, it seems unfair, but there's probably more there. So I just want to give us a little bit of context, a little bit of background, a little bit of what's going on here uh, that may not jump right out. Right out and, uh, and we'll see that this actually is this very beautiful picture that Jesus is painting for us. So first, piece of context. First, it would be unusual for the employer to keep going back over and over and over. In fact, it would be unusual for the landowner himself to go. He would usually have a steward go and do that, or a manager. But it would definitely be unusual for him to keep going back. Remember how many times he went? Five times. That's a lot of times. You would think, you know, when a landowner gets up and, and if he's a good landowner, he's going to know, all right, this is how many workers I need for the day. This is how many, what I have to get done, all that good stuff. And he goes and he hires some. And maybe he's got to go back for a second time because, you know, some unexpected stuff came up. But to go back five times, that's, that's unheard of. It's not as if he would have been taken by surprise by like a whole nother field of grapevines popping up and producing fruit in one day. No. There's something else going on here. And I think when you look at it, what you see here is that this landowner keeps going back to the spot where these people who are in need, people who are, are feeling like, what am I going to do? And he just is consistently generous. Where the landowner is like the kingdom of heaven. This is, he's, Jesus is saying, the God that, that is the God of the kingdom of heaven, he is deeply and consistently generous. Remember, these workers are there with the hope of getting paid, with the hope of being able to bring something home to their family, to be able to just provide. And each hour that passes is an hour closer to going home with nothing. There is likely no reason that landowner kept going back even so late in the day other than to say, wait, you haven't been blessed? Let me bless you. Let me find you and bless you. Come experience my generosity. So that's the first thing. Second thing is the order of the payment. Remember he says, pay the last first. Now, he could have and normally would have paid in the order that they were hired, right? You were hired early in the morning, you get paid first, you go on your way. And this would have solved a lot of problems, would have, you know, would have avoided any unnecessary conflict because the people that got hired first would get their money and They'd say, man, this is great. I had nothing at the beginning of the day. Now I have this and I'm blessed and I'm going to go home and care for my family. And that would be that. And then the second people and then the second, no one would know the difference and everyone would walk away blessed. But I think the reason Jesus paints this parable this way is because he's wanting people to see that the landowner wants people to know of his generosity. He wants people to see how he is generous and not in some prideful look at me way, but rather just to know that there is a landowner, one who will be generous with people, who is driven by generosity. 
he, he is wanting to share that. Now, there's something else here that's very, very important and, and interesting to note is that Jesus bookends this parable uh, with two essentially, you know, with two phrases that are essentially the same. Matthew 19, 30 is the, the last verse of chapter 19, says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And then Matthew 20, 16, the, the first verse after he tells the parable says, so the last will be first and the first last. So when we see something in scripture like this, like this repetition, what it's telling us, this is actually really important. What it's telling us is that there is something important here that you don't want to miss. And the thing that's coming between these two repetitions, really pay attention to that because it's got some deep, profound truth to it that, that is really important for us. So last shall be first, first shall be last. So what I don't think is happening here is Jesus assigning some arbitrarily you know, ranking system or, or value system to people. It's no longer these people are, you know, are worth less and these people are worth more and he's flipping that. No, I don't think that's the case. What I wonder, what I think, is when he talks about the last who end up being first, he's talking about the, the, the workers, the people who would understand and, and get the fullest, most richest, robust experience of this kingdom of heaven that he's talking about. Because remember the last in this parable are the ones who needed the most. It was their last. They were, they were there with one hour left before they had to go home. They understood what it meant to be in need, to be worried. And then at that, the moment flips and they, they understand generosity and grace and blessing, perhaps more so than anybody else. And so Jesus is saying the last will be first. He's saying that they're, these, these last people these are the ones, the first ones are going to be the ones that understand and embrace and live out of the beauty of the kingdom the best, the most. They'll have the fullest experience. But then there's the first who end up being last. And I wonder if he's talking more about these people who find themselves missing out on that full experience of the kingdom. You know, that first group of people. They've been blessed by generosity. Remember, those people had nothing either. And yet here they are, blessed with generosity. But instead of really rejoicing and living in that blessing and generosity, they find themselves still living with an expectation of fairness. Living with an expectation of, you're not being fair to me, God. I should be getting this, or these people shouldn't be getting that. And so they have this, this inability to have this full relationship, this full experience, this full robust experience with God to live in, in that kingdom. And so it's this natural consequence that comes from saying to God, essentially, I think that you should be different and do differently than you do. But here's the truth. It's really hard to live in a kingdom that you don't like the king right? If you don't like the king, you're going to have a hard time living in that kingdom. If you expect fairness in a kingdom of generosity and grace, you're going to struggle. But let me ask you this. Would you rather be treated fairly or treated with grace? When we think of what we'd rather be treated, we'd rather be treated with fairness or with grace. Because grace goes beyond justice, generosity goes beyond fairness, and isn't that what we truly want to experience? Grace and generosity. 
So the first are last because they, they've missed this beautiful thing and instead have what we, he called a begrudging heart, a begrudging eye for what the other people have gotten. Which leads us nicely into uh, this third and last thing in what we want to uncover here is, uh, is this idea of begrudging his generosity. Verse 15 says, do you begrudge my generosity and mine? It may say in yours, are you envious? Another translation would say, are you jealous? Uh, another one says, is your eye envious? And that's probably the closest to what's literally happening here. Uh, the words, the Greek words being translated, begrudge my generosity, literally are, are is your eye evil? And this is something where we would say, okay, well, that sounds bad, but you know, we wouldn't really get the fullness of it. In that culture, though, that was a big thing. It still is a big thing in, uh, in Middle Eastern and Eastern cultures today. And it's this idea of being rooted in the concept of envy, of it's not fair that you have this, I want it. And it essentially is this idea of uh, with your eye, if you glance at something and you're wanting this thing that this other has, then you are actually causing a degree of harm or, or a curse upon the object of the thing that you're wanting, upon the person who has it. This is, this is kind of how they, they viewed things back then. In fact, still in, uh, in, in today's culture over in Central Asia and Middle East, that's still something that's prevalent. One of our other pastors, if you've never been here, one of our other pastors is Ryan. He used to be the, the high school pastor here and he was telling me uh, about a, a trip that he took with some of his students and volunteers over to Central Asia. And he takes his trip over there and they're, they're mingling with the people. They're, they're you know, just finding their way around the area, and they're on a bus, and one of his students looks at a, a person on the bus from that country and just says, that's a beautiful necklace. All they were doing, he's saying, that's a beautiful necklace, just complimenting the necklace. And all of a sudden, the person wearing it took it off and gave it to him. And everybody said, oh, well, that's nice. And he noticed that this would happen a lot throughout the day, and it wasn't the students were trying to do anything. They were just trying to be friendly and compliment, and yet... They kept ending up with things. And they went back to, to where they were staying and the person who you know, was kind of hosting them uh, and had lived in the country there, uh, and, and that person said, oh, I should have told you not to do that. Because what was happening is when they said that, that person in that culture took it as, I am envious of what you have and you have now cursed me and my object. So I don't want it, you take it. Again, purely by accident, they didn't know what they were doing, but it was this thing where they, they interpreted that through the idea of an evil eye. And this wonderful blessing they had would become a curse. And so the sad thing is, and it's a truth that we all live out today, even if we don't live there, is that the blessing of God can at the same time become a curse for us. It can become a curse for the people that are blessed and it becomes a curse for us because it damages when we start saying, I want that, I can't believe it's not fair. What does that do? It damages our, our connection with them, right? We start saying, you don't deserve that. But it also damages, it becomes a curse for us because it damages our, our relationship with God. We don't get to live in that fullness that we could because we're busy saying, why, why did they get that, God? That's not fair. And maybe we start asking these questions that, that revolve around fairness. I ask these, I find myself asking these so many times. Why them and not me? What, what did I do wrong that I didn't get this? What do I need to do 
to be better? What do I need to do better? And all of a sudden, this starts building up resentment, either for that person or for God. And I all of a sudden start finding myself not living in this kingdom of generosity, but one that I expect for fairness. So, like we said before, it's hard to be a citizen of a kingdom when you don't like the way a king works. And if you find yourself struggling with that, like I do, I want to say, we don't have to stay here. There's a way out. And so with these last, last little bit, I want to just take a moment here to, to paint a picture of what Jesus gives us about maybe how do, we, how do we step out of this? How do we let go of fairness? How do we keep God's blessing as a blessing and not let it become a curse? How do we, what do we do when God doesn't act or do the way we want him to? I think what we can pull out of this, the answer would be we need to train our eyes to see and fall in love with something more than what is fair. Or something that is more than fair. And there are three steps to this from this parable that we can pull out of here. And here's the key. These are not just, you can't just do one of these. To really step out of fairness and into grace and generosity, you have to, you have to really do all of these. They work in in conjunction with each other. So the three steps. Step one. First step is recognize how God has blessed you. Recall back to verse nine. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Can you imagine how blessed those 11th hour guys must have felt? Can you imagine? They would go home and they say, oh, family, guess what? You would not believe this. I worked for an hour. I tried. I stood out there all day. Nobody hired me. And then this guy came and he hired me for an hour and I worked for an hour and I got a full day's wage. Can, look how blessed we are. I had no opportunity. Now I do. So here's my question. What's your denarius? What's the blessing God's giving you? What's the opportunity God has provided you? We all have a spot where we could say, I've had nothing, and then all of a sudden we can say, man, I've got blessings. You know, if you're struggling to see how you've been blessed, I'd say you're not actually looking at your whole timeline. You're not actually looking at your whole life. You're, you're allowing yourself to become hyper-focused on just this moment and the here and the now and this unfair moment that you're experiencing. But if you were to allow yourself to step back, you would be able to see that throughout life, God has blessed you. Because here, I promise you this, I've lived life enough and met enough people that I know no one has not been blessed by God. No one has not been blessed by God. Everyone has been blessed by God at some time. That's much better English. And it just takes a moment of stepping back and seeing that. And it might be difficult, it might be hard, but it's there. And what I would suggest in this is, again, to remember how God has blessed you is maybe even if you struggle with that a lot, write them down, carry it around in your pocket. And so when you need a reminder, you can whip, it out, whip you know, that paper out and say, oh, yeah. It isn't fair, but look at all these blessings I've had. Next one, refuse refuse to compare your blessing with someone else's. Call back in verse 12, the the first workers, they worked only one hour and yet you have made them equal to us? Because sometimes when you see your blessing, when you get your blessing, you're immediately tempted to compare it to another's. I got the comic books I wanted, but that was much better. 
you're immediately tempted to compare it to somebody else. And you start asking questions again. How does, how does what I've been blessed with compare to yours? Is, how does it match up? Did God, has God been more or less generous with me than he has been with you? And so we have to refuse to compare our blessings with somebody else's. They were blessed. You were blessed. It's not a comparison game. And this, again, takes conscious effort. It takes some work. One of the great things about this is this can be a, a part of your prayer life that actually enhance your prayer life. When you wake up in the morning, if you pray in the morning, you can start your prayer with, God, let me see the blessings today. Let me be- enjoy and recognize the blessings that you've given me today. Or if you hit that moment where you are in an unfair moment, you're saying, this is not fair. I can't believe this is happening. You can all of a sudden remind yourself and say a little prayer, God, help me appreciate the blessings you've given me now. Help me live in those. Because then you actually get to not only see the way you've been blessed, but you get to start enjoying it. Then finally, it's there. Practice celebrating the blessings of others. You've seen your blessing. You're not comparing it anymore. So now you can practice celebrating it. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? Are you going to celebrate the, the blessing, or are you going to be angry about it? Are you going to celebrate blessing, or are you going to wish for fairness? The reality is, is God is choosing to be generous and bless people all around us. He's blessing me, he's blessing you, he's blessing everyone we know in some way or another. He's doing that. And the beauty of living in this kingdom that he invites us to is that we can actually celebrate that with people. Who around you is experiencing blessing right now? Take a moment and think about it. Is there somebody around you experiencing blessing right now? How can you celebrate with them? And when I say that, I mean really, truly celebrate, not like, oh, well, that's cool, but like an actual, like, be excited and celebrate their blessing in as much as you are excited and celebrating yours. When you, when you start doing that, fairness becomes... Who cares? We're too busy celebrating the generosity and the grace and the blessings of God. So what would you look, what would it look like this week in your life? If you looked at things through a lens of generosity and grace as opposed to fairness. If you looked at things through the lens of this is a blessing as opposed to whether it's fair or not. What would it look like in your life this week, in my life this week, if we went and we shared that generosity and grace that we encounter from God in the lives and with the lives of all those people around us. We're so caught up in grace and generosity and blessing that we just look for it and share it and live in it because that's what the kingdom is. Because here's the deal. When we do that, we are bringing the kingdom of heaven to life. And that is an amazing, profound, and beautiful thing. Let me pray. Dear God, thank you for blessing. Thank you for grace. Thank you for generosity. And thank you that that you don't work the way that we always want you to. We ask that this week as we go through, we we encounter, we we celebrate, we bask in the generosity and grace and blessing that you pour out on us. We know that there are going to be moments where we hit frustration and want fairness, but let us simply step back into your blessing and grace. We thank you that you've, you've blessed us with your son, 
and your love. In your name, amen. All right, a couple things. First, we have our prayer place over there. So if you'd like to pray with somebody, if you have something you'd like prayer for, uh, head on over there. We have some wonderful people who love to pray with people, and we want to invite you to do that. Lastly, uh, if you're new here or, you know, if you're a guest and joining us for your first time, I'd love to say hi. I'd love to meet you. I'll be out at our welcome center right out there, right where most people are walking in. And, uh, and I'd love to, you know, just tell you how glad we are you're here. So have a wonderful week, and I hope we see you next week.